0: Welcome back y'all, this is Brent in the studio. And coming off of a conversation about managing and growing big mature whitetails, we wanted to take a deep dive into nutrition, but specifically native nutrition from the native plant community. Things that are already out there that you may not think about when we start talking about nutrition. So if you're like me, you're gonna pick up a lot here and it's gonna make you look at things a little bit different when you walk around your piece of ground. Let's jump right in unlocking native nutrition.
1: When most people think about nutrition, me included, you think about fertilizer in a bag and how can I you know increase the fertility in my soil or maybe that different regions within the state that the delta has a higher inherent higher nutritional value than maybe the lower coastal plains that's what generally what you think about when when somebody's talking about nutrition but if i own a track of land i mean i can't pick it up and move it to the delta region i mean I, i've got what i've got you so with it that's right how how can i start thinking about as nutrient relates to my track and what can I do to manage that and make that better? And, um, and I don't want just to be thinking about nutrients in the standpoint of a, of a food plot. Also, I want to be thinking about nutrient values on our, our native plant communities and the way that we can promote the ones that, that give us more nutrients and maybe even discourage the ones that don't. And how can we manage around that and then think about this? That would be, be an interesting topic for today.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's really, I think, what I was stumbling around at the beginning to, to, to verbalize is that I think even subconsciously when you think nutrient, me as a, you know, I'm a pretty active hunter, no, no real crop science background, but I'm thinking soil. And when I think nutrients, I'm thinking that's, that's that point of origination of nutrients is soil and that we talked right. about last week On the last show, when we were talking about growing a 150, uh, we were talking about those plants sort of being a conduit. The transfer mechanism. That's right. right, Where that that every bite matters. That's right. Uh, But there's other things to think about. Like you can't just, like I said, you can't pick your piece of dirt up and move it. Mm -hmm. So what can you do? I, I, you know, I think it rolls right into habitat
2: management. I mean, that's the that's the number one, and, and it's the funnest for me. I mean, I love to go out and, and try different things and, and do things that I know are, are beneficial to the wildlife, not just white-tailed deer, but turkeys and, and everything else that you're trying to grow. Um, you know, w- we got to start off with, with three main, what I think three main uh, types. You know, you have hardwood forest, you're going to have the pine plantation, and you'll have the open land, the, the prairie type land uh, around here at least. So, I think each hunter or each land manager, he's got that. He's got one of those three types of land that he's going to have to manage. And he's going to have to manage. And, and those lands are managed with different prescriptions, and whether it be fire and, and, and patch clear cuts, whatever. But we're doing this to promote natural. Nutrition. I mean, really. And uh, each I mean, one
1: of those landscapes are going to have its unique challenges. I mean, they're going to have things that, that they do really, really well, and they're going to have some things that they're going to be deficient in. Right. And so as land managers, that's what we have to figure out. All right, how can I – we talked about the, the limiting factors yep. You know, last week. How can I determine on my track what is the, those those limiting factors and can I manage around that? Yep. Right. I think
0: that's that ace. That, that's where that expertise comes in, and, and even leaning on a consultant is identifying or, or knowing, limiting factors
2: or, or knowing your property that's right you know it would be surprised if you got the
0: advantage of time yes, on that property yes, right. that, that really mean, helps too i'll
2: tell you a a, a quick step I, I i met a guy and and he wanted me to come look at his property and walk it over and give him kind of a you know a, a, some management ideas and first thing he showed me was a he said man i got to do away with this and, and get some of his native warm season grass." I said, let me show you what i'm what i've got right here chris and he, first thing he showed me was a five or six acre Overgrown field with nothing but ragweed and forbs. He said awesome. he said, I said, I'm fishing the bush, y'all get down and spray I said, no. He said, What do you mean? I said, No also, you know, not only do you have nutrition, but you have cover naturally. Don't don't wipe it out. Keep it. And he's like, Are you kidding me? This tossed I said, they love it. it. it's it's 20% protein.
1: Best habitat within twenty miles Best of that. Best
2: habitat <laughs> in twenty miles. I said, do not wipe it out. Right. And he and he was you know, he was so textbook, but he was so textbook instead of just knowing that he had that great forage and that great nutrition and that great habitat was there. Mm-hmm. It just needed time to,
1: yeah, you yeah. know, to promote. And so there's a there's a window of time. If you think about the landscape, there's a window. Everybody talks about that three-year-old cutover, right. the five-year-old cutover. And that's like the holy grail of very productive, yeah, as far as bedding and and quality you know, food oh, source. Force. I mean, yes. that's just everybody's thinks about that. You put your ladder stand, nest, Brent, next nest, that five year old cutover. I mean, you just right. do subconsciously. And the reason is, is because it's got that that window of plant community that is the most desirable. Whether you're talking about you know nesting habitat, deer forage and bedding, whatever it is, that five year old cutover. Is what we need to be looking at. All right, why is it good? We need to be asking our questions. What's out there that's so palatable or so nutritious attractive. or so desirable mm-hmm. or attractive for them? Well, you hear the word early successional. You hear that uh, that that word yep. thrown out a lot. Yeah,
2: kind of explain that because I think somebody get kind of miss they yeah. misunderstand that. Yeah. T- so statement. when
1: I think about early successional, if you'll think about a timeline of just our landscape and and think about starting with a, a disc upfield, bare a field. ground. okay Bare ground. That guy doesn't have anything. Have you just quit all. farming. It just left it alone. That's along. right. And then walked away from it. So year one, what's going to be coming back? Grasses your, and forbs. Your, Grass. an, your uh, annual uh, grasses are going to be coming back. You'll have some annual uh, weeds, maybe residual from the old row crops. That's what will come back. Well, in year two, you may start getting some perennial grasses in there, maybe a few more forbs. So On like year
0: clumpy, taller.
1: Yep. Yep. You know, and and think about also the vertical height that you're going to be seeing. So on year one, it may be six to eighteen inches tall. On year two, the and year three, the perennial grasses are going to start to come in. The the taller bunch grasses, the 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 four of your poke salads, your you know your red vines, your things like that that may give you that vertical structure that may be you know to three feet high
2: right but that's solid solid food for whitetails no, correct d-
1: no doubt about it okay and then you get to move into into year four and five you're getting the same composite of those species but maybe a little bit more vertical height but then when you start getting into year five six and seven what's creeping in on you then
2: here comes woody stems No, here comes no woody doubt. stuff mm-hmm.
1: and then when you when you get into that five and six year old woody stems and you start to have those then fast forward to ten and twelve years, what right. are we looking like?
2: Well, in the south, woody it's stems a thicket, mean like a, woody stems mean two things: sweet gum and ash. Yeah, no doubt. You, I mean, that's a.
1: And so when you have that, the and monster. they start dominating that 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 mid area, if you will, all your 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 desirable things that are low to the ground that a deer can they shading, the them, things, out. shading so them out. They time frame mm-hmm. that
0: to me from day from 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 zero hours is when we walked away from it where how where is it where we're at this stage where we're starting to shade out the lose
1: and so um Chris, 18 years to, old i want you to speak to that because that's a lot of it's going to have to do with where we're at the type of species we're having you know if i'm in a, in a green ash bottom in the mississippi prairie um you know it could be five or six years it could be all right there.
2: because it's, it's they're producing they're they're so aggressive they're that's, that's right, right. And, and when you start getting two thousand stems per acre and remember now, when when people plant pine trees, they're only planting 500 to 600 stems per acre. And you know how thick a pine thicket is. So you think about an ash or a gum thicket, I mean, they can produce 2,000 to 2,500 stems per acre. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you right there, you're not going to have anything grow under. Right.
1: So if we bracket that, that, that three- to five-year-old cutover as our holy grail, all right, well then— when we start talking about nutritional value, those those plants that provide that that highest nutritional value, and the ones we want to have and promote on our landscape, and we understand that the time we walked away from that disc up field, it's constantly trying to get to a mature forest. Every day, it's trying to get back to a mature forest. It's, it's going to back. It's going to back way. to
2: where it started.
1: Every place is trying to get back outside some native prairies. Yeah. Everything's trying to go back to a mature forest, and so if we if we if we determine that that three to five year old wind is where we want to be, well, what do we got to do? We got to keep setting it back. We got to setting it back, yeah. That into that early successional. So when we talk about that early successional habitat, that's what we're trying to frame and identify. And when we get out of that, we try to set it back. And we've got several tools that we can use in our toolbox to do that. And
2: admit a pine plantation has been thinned. You're doing the same thing to it, correct, as That's far right. as setting it back when you run the fire and, and the herbicide in it to get rid of the woody stems? Because I can tell you, I've thinned thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of pine plantation, and the first two or three years, it's beautiful. Year four and five, you start seeing gum, and year seven and eight, it's got more gum growing under the pines than you have pine. Right,
0: right. Um, All right so So get me back to... Because we, we we teed this thing up as talking about nutrition. That's right. And so most of the time we're talking that three to five year old cutover. It's a the lot most of productive. people see that cutover, but you're not thinking nutrition. I'm thinking cover. Are you telling me that's nutrition? Yeah. Because I've never. You know, most people don't look at that as as nutritional value. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah no. Nope. That, and that's sort of the road we want to go down because that's a little different. That's a little different no than what you're hearing. So so. Setting it back to early succession isn't just for cover, to cover or for to, to open up cover so your turkeys can walk around. It's free all of food. a sudden, you know, there's a new, there's a, there's a pretty uh attractive nutritional value for deer.
1: Well, if you go back to your you know what you outlined earlier, that the plant's just a transfer mechanism for those nutrients to get you know what we're talking about in this regard from the soil into that those deer antlers. That plant community is just that transfer mechanism. And so there's a couple of components in there. The The plant communities that we're trying to promote obviously have the desirability, the preference from the deer, and the ones with the highest nutrition. And so if we can get one that they like to eat and promote the ones with the highest nutrition, you can see where it becomes a nutritional issue, managing it within that early successional window. Now you're
2: talking about nutrition, you're talking about... Fifteen to eighteen percent protein in these plants, correct?
1: Some of these, some of these plants that uh, that are native uh, forages, and we can go through a a list of them and just kind of get you to thinking, plant identification, understand what's on your site, because depending on where your where your land is located, you're gonna have a different plant community than maybe mine.
0: And this is leveraging plants; you don't have to till and plant and germinate and grow. I mean, these these are free out of not out of a bag. That's right. 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 And that's a big deal. I think that's important, especially maybe to the guy hunting the lease.
2: That's right. That, that a
0: has, lot has no of control. To that. Right. Um,
1: BASF did a, a study back. They were, um, I think it was a cooperation with Mississippi State, and uh, their their herbicides that they were promoting at that time were were the imazapyr type herbicides, the choppers and the arsenals, and what. What those herbicides were really, really good at is eliminating those woody species.
2: Right. Getting rid of the gum.
1: Getting rid of the gum. Okay. But what they found is that it it wasn't very selective against a lot of our native grasses and native forbs. And so as a byproduct, we were seeing behind that herbicide application, we were getting a flush of all these forbs and grasses behind that. We were eliminating our woody competition that, because our ultimate goal was pine production. That's right. And, and any time we have any you know, sweet gums, you know, ash, hey. things like that, and with competing with those pines, we were losing pine production. Well, as a byproduct, they learned that it is a huge wildlife benefit. Because it's promoting those those early successional plant communities that eliminated that mid-story that shaded those out, allowed more sunlight to get to the ground, and it was just it's unbelievable. So then it started shifting to where we're not just marketing this uh, application to For a timber. forestry community, but now the recreational community, and then wow. move forward. Timber timber prices have kind of dropped down. Really, the ones carrying the torch on this type of application are the recreational landowners. The private landowners. Private landowners. Um, but so what
2: you're saying, you, they were going in and, and taking the gum and all the woody, the the, the 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 shade species, taking them out. And that seed bed, I guess, was in that, was was in that soil, and here it comes. That's right. Because it has no competition. It, it's the only... Thing left living. That's right, and so it, it's just exploding. Yeah,
1: where well, you know, give me a couple.
2: Give me a couple. Um, I, I know one right off the bat because I've cruised enough pine plantation. Blackberry had good one. A, I mean, that Pope had to be one.
1: Common ragweed, beggar's lice. Oh, man, um, a good yeah. I mean, they're good species. Lespedezas. I mean, there's there's just a, a myriad of those type of forbs out there, they're just waiting, just waiting to come, and all they need is is sunlight and a, and some and opportunity. Some and, yeah. The,
0: yeah. and those are things that the casual guy is probably not even thinking about in terms of nutrition well and attractiveness to those if he's
2: like my brother ragweed and and he's
0: sneezing to death and he sees he's running the wrong way because people are uh, they don't they don't visualize it because there's a lot of things that we do that are attractive to us and we're conditioned i think to that what a food plot or what a hunting uh, a piece of hunting land is supposed to look like to the hunter uh and that's something we can you know we that's a well, whole it, another well, podcast, maybe it, it, it
2: is that. But you are exactly right, Brent. I'm the world's worst. I Admit, oh, get on me. But I love for it to look pretty, clean, pretty. You know, and and people in general, everything in its place. A lot of times, I go out and do um, landowner type, you know, profiles and 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 looking at land. And the first place they carry me is those beautiful bottomland hardwood. That's the first place to me. Look how pretty they are. And they are pretty. Don't Everybody get me wrong. Knows. I'm a sucker for yeah. hardwoods. But that's not the most productive place you have. And and it really shocks people to understand. From you, a nutrition that's right. standpoint. You want me to go over here. I, and, and, and it's a funny thing. I was with a guy, and he, he was showing me these big bottomland hardwood, and they were gorgeous. Cherry bark and white oak. He, The first thing they throw out, white oak. Look at these beautiful white oak. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, it's a, it is great for about one month, October to about November 12th. But... His neighbor had a fresh clear cut, about two years old, and 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 that's where all the deer were. That's where all the the, the nutrition was. You know, so what Mitt's saying, it goes right back to uh, managing, and uh, you know, managing their your your pine plantations and managing what you have.
1: So it, you know, if you go back to look at that that BASF study uh, in Mississippi State. Um, what they, they sent some graduate students out there to collect those natural um, forages out there, that's right, in the plant community, and they brought them back to the lab, and they, they measured them obviously for tonnage. They were interested in how much we were growing on the landscape, and they analyzed that for you know, uh, crude protein, digestibility, all the things that we're interested in from a, from a deer yeah, management perspective. All the still. metrics right. That's measuring right. That's right. Yeah, food. And so what they did is they compared that against what we normally think about as our forage, you know, a great clover field. A typical clover field over the course of a year is going to generally produce about three thousand pounds of forage per year per acre, per acre per acre. Well, what they found is that the natural plant community, when managed right, and we can talk about the tools that we use to manage that and to set and keep that early successional window in there, but they found that there's a thousand pounds of equally good forage per acre in well managed pines. Natural stuff. Natural stuff. And so let's think about, let's think about a, a, a thousand acre track, for example. I'm just going to use that kind of as, a, as, a, as our placeholder in a hypothetical yeah, easy situation. Math. Easy math. There you go, Brent, because <laughs> I'm not good at math. So, say we got in the hypothetical situation, we got uh, 10 acres of clover, 10 acres of clover. At 3,000 pounds per acre, it's going to be 30,000 pounds of forage that I'm going to produce on that landscape over that year. Right. All right. Well, the balance of this hypothetical situation is 990 acres of pines. All right. And we're going to assume that we've got it well managed. It's thin at appropriate Burned rate. Burned and sprayed. We've got, okay. it. we've got eliminated that, that mid that m- mid canopy right. where sunlight's hitting the ground. We did that through either fire or herbicide. There's a lot of different ways that we could do that, but we'll assume that we did that. Right. And we're assuming that we're getting that 1,000 pounds per acre. Well, I've got 30,000 pounds of clover. That's 990,000 pounds of natural. of natural forage that the grad students prove that I'm just as good on protein content, just as high just digestibility, right. and just as good a preference.
2: You know, that's big because what <clears throat> you're saying is that everybody, even including myself, but I, I do love to drive a tractor, but that much good, high-quality food, which, hey, let's tie it back into growing the one hundred and fifty that those deer can eat, and, and you don't have to pay off a bag. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's pretty strong. Well, what's
1: interesting, if you unless you live under a rock, you've probably heard about that final forage that Bronson and Damaris did over there. Did, if you know about that, That Brent, I'm, I'm exposing you from living under a rock if you say no. <laughs> but it, Come was, on it was really interesting. It was They may have done it for a couple of years, um, but the first year they did it, they had four categories, and they did it around in the in the springtime when everything was greening up, around the Final Four, kind of eliminate, you know, emulating the, yeah. the the basketball tournament. So we're bracketing. That's right, and so they had they had in the bracket they had four sides of that bracket. They had natural brows, which would be your, your dogwoods, your your sumacs, your beautyberries, red bush things like right. that, and they had um, I think it was eight in each each bracket. The other one, they had uh, the food plot species, you know, and they had soybeans in there, red clovers, white clovers, um, you know, alfalfa. They had all those differences in the the other bracket. The other side of the bracket were the vines, the poison ivies, trumpet creepers, greenbriars, blackberries, you know, all the the, the other ones. And then um, in the other bracket, they had forbs. All right, this is where it gets interesting. The fores will be the pokeweed, the common ragweed, beggar's lice, things we Stuff talked about that we talked before. About. That's right. And so what they did is they, they went out there into their enclosure where they had those, those bucks in the enclosure, right. and they collected all these plants and put them in a little Tupperware bowl and presented them to the deer. And so the deer would come in there, and they would show you the ones that they, were, they had a preference for. Well, the, ones that, the one that won the browse uh, category was the dogwood. All right? Okay. The one that won the, the food plot category, we'd all probably guess that, soy soybeans. Soybeans soy beans beans right. won that one. Well, the vine category, poison ivy won it. I figured that. They love I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, they love poison ivy. My they place really is do. full of poison ivy, and I've been mm. trying to figure out how to get rid of it until I saw that. <laughs> but if you look at it close, they bite yep. almost every one yep. of them all. And the, and the Forbes category, beggars lice won. Wow. Yep. So here's what's interesting. Then it went to head to head. We were in the final four. All right, so I got beggar's lice against dogwood, against soybeans, against poison ivy. Did you know? Are you familiar with the study, Chris? No, Brent, I, I remember Brent, when they know were it doing either? it. What What would you guess won won the championship?
2: Don't tell me the stuff it it it, it, it gets attached to my leg every time I A walk out triangle, in the pine thicket.
0: Little triangle you got to pick off your that, That's
2: beggar's lice, guys. That's this aggravating stuff that will get all over you. What well, What
1: was it? Well, I'd have bet my truck it'd have been soybeans. I would figure that too. It was dogwood. Wow. Dogwood A dogwood species. And so I mean it was really interesting. It's a fun little uh, exercise that they did and it was created a lot of awareness. But you know, keep in mind these were um, you know, deer in a pen, so they didn't weren't exposed right. to a lot of, you know, you know, greenery out there. But, but they still have a the, preference. But at the same time they have preference. And I think that what that tells you is that, you know, the the soybeans and, and the hot foods as we call it aren't just runaway winners. And and if you did this on your track, it may be a different species that they would have preference. But right. the, I think that the take home message is that our native stuff is just can compete good. can compete just fine and, with the stuff out and, of bag. And
2: that is where that you've been on my tail about because you know I love to plant and spray and we all do. But, but that's right. I mean it's just a fun thing to do to watch them and and watch them eat. It's been you know it's 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 productive and and it's rewarding. But you know, the natural, you know, deer been here for a thousand years. There wasn't nobody yeah. in the 1950s planting anything for them before soybeans got here. So they had to, there was not a lot of deer either. I think it was smoking them down pretty good back then. But, you know, they've been here forever. Yeah. We just aren't listening sometimes to really what they want. Being observant enough being to observed, pick that now out. now you got people like Mississippi State that's really studying this stuff and giving us these incredible mm-hmm. you know um experiments that you're they've right. done you know results yeah you know but it that that's that's a cool and it's free mm-hmm. it it doesn't cost you one thing after you initially pay for the burn or you do it yourself or the spray and most people you're going to have to get an applicator mm-hmm. to spray this stuff because most of them you can't buy it But when anyway. you look at
1: at tonnage per acre and the dollars that that tonnage cost you oh it's no comparison yeah. no. when you start tallying up what it costs you to plant that. Right, clothing. I things mean, you well, didn't plant. Well, you look at you look that's at those problem.
2: large. It's not going to fail. You look at those giant, those large lab soybeans. You know that's the hot thing. I mean, they're a hundred dollars a bag. And and you know if, if you don't put a fence around them, they'll eat them up. In about how
1: long? Quick. So we we talked about the value of the the native plant community, and we glossed over the, the tools because it, it's effort to keep it in that early successional window right there. So most often we're thinking about a mechanical type mechanism, which be a drum chopper, a shear blade, or something like that. We've got fire, and then we've got herbicide. Those are really the, the three tools that we generally think about. Disturbance. Disturbance to keep that early successional. Well, when you start thinking about all right, the plant communities in that early successional, you got really what you're talking about is forbs and grasses. Right. All right, and, and so there's, there's the forbs, it doesn't only give you cover, but it gives you that forage that we're looking for. Now, the grasses, you get the cover, but it's not – you've got low, very low-quality forage, but it's still very, very important when you're managing this early successional because it's fuel. It carries the fire, and we've got saying? to have the grasses to be the fuel to carry the fire, which keeps us that early successional. Which and promotes see, the forest, so you can see where that loop. The Forbes. That's right. Okay. Where you see where that loop, you have to have the grasses in order to, to have the fire to keep to promote that sustainability in that early succession, and so that's that's the way you're, you, that that I choose to think about it: forbs and grasses, and so then, all right. You can manipulate through disturbance, like you said, Chris, whether it be disking or whatever in the different times of year. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. And a a landowner needs to be a a, a student of his property and and the results of these disturbances, what are going to be the results of. All right. So when you burn in March versus May, you're going to promote a different plant community. All right, so if you can start thinking about that in, in terms of the, the seed that you have in, in your seed bank versus the one that, that I have, I can start promoting the ones that are good and discouraging the ones that don't. When you start understanding the, the germination time of different plant communities and when I can put a fire across it and, and start hurting them to discourage their growth, you can see where the timing of and the window of that, that fire or herbicide or disking, that disturbance, I can start promoting some and discouraging others and really hone in on where I'm I the highest quality. So timing matters. Timing matters. It's not an accidental. And we oftentimes we do it based on when the conditions will allow. Yeah. I mean, I know I've b- tried to burn several times in February and don't get one burn day in the whole month.
2: Right.
0: Either too wet or wind, right? That's than the direction. right, that's right. But in a, in a perfect state of burn is when you can.
1: When you can, Definitely. that's right. But if if we could design that in a perfect world, you can see where we can start promoting that. And not only the the difference in, in what type of forbs, but the mixes between grasses and forbs. I mean, ideally, you'd love to be just enough grass to carry a fire, but no more to allow more room for forbs. But you get too, more, too much forb, uh, you know, Percentage-wise, and won't not carry. enough grass, it won't carry a fire. And so there are ways to even promote. There's even <laughs> ways to promote that. It's, it's wild. Yeah.
0: It's it's. Little and different. so mm-hmm.
1: you know, when you start thinking about that, just in generally speaking, the the tillage type um, disturbances in the fall promotes more forbs and discourages the, the the grasses. The the burns or or tillage in the spring promotes grasses, and discourages the, That's right. the forbs. That's right. And so you can see with that manipulation. If I start seeing it go too far one way, I can put it back in check, depending on the disturbance that I decide to do and the timing on that. So it's a lot to think about, but it's really, really interesting when you start putting those pieces together because it, it's that's that's legit and that that's real.
2: Well, I've seen that from that native warm season grass. You know, we burn every other year, and and uh, you know, you told me, uh, you know, I wanted to burn it every year for the turkeys. And right. You said, well, Chris, you do that, you ain't gonna have nothing but grass. Right. It'll turn to monoculture. And, and you grasses. know what? You're yeah. right because I have. You know, I burn it every year to try to pull those mm. extra birds around, mm. and, and it has. It's, yeah, it, and it's, I it's think that's important
0: autograins. to talk about because it's so popular right now, and for good reason. You know, a lot of people, if, if you get into social media and on podcasts, a lot of people are really concerned with turkey numbers. People are trapping, and people are burning. That's, like, that's, like that's the, that's the if, new thing. If you're not trapping and burning, you know, you might get canceled, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the hunting community. I mean, and, right. and it's that popular. Mm. But it really... We, what you're saying is is you may not want to burn every year if if you're looking at you know you can't be you can't be one track minded i i I've, I've learned that from being around you guys and and so if you're looking at sort of a holistic approach where you're not just targeting a single species you're looking at you know deer management but you want you want what you do to be good for the turkeys are you saying maybe you don't burn the same track every year
1: well I think, and I don't want to over—I don't want to beat this dead horse, but it's so encompassing of what we're trying to do as land managers. But we've got to identify that most limiting factor. Right. You've got to do that. If if my grass is eighty percent and I got twenty percent forbs, you know maybe I need to incorporate some tillage in the fall. I mean, so it's just identifying that that most site specific is that what we're saying? Site
0: specific and timing. That's right. And you know, it's not
2: just a landowner. I mean, lease lands. You know, you got to spend. It's like Mitch you said earlier. You've got to spend some time on them feet.
1: No doubt. And Look,
2: we've got the look. The internet, your phone. You can you can identify every plant that's in the state of Mississippi.
1: Bronson introduced you've me. Got and I'm to gonna add, look at that. I'm gonna add this in there because it's a very important. I just learned this. Bronson introduced this to me the other day. Google. If you'll go to just the Google website, there's a little camera icon next to the the, the bar where you type in your your search. Well, if you'll click on that camera, you can go to any plant out there on your your landscape, take a picture of it, wow. and Google will identify it for you. You kidding And me? So there's no excuse for all of us not to be a number one botanist now and understand what the deer are browsing on. We can see that. They're showing us. Right. Identify that and start understanding how can I promote more of it to create that higher nutritional quality that we're talking about. Yep. But
2: you're going to have to leave that travel ball game. You're going well, to get no. time. You you're time. Gonna have to get them, get your get your <laughs> yep. boots on. If you're scared of yep. snakes, get you some knee boots. I mean, and you're going to have to go and, and look. Just, yeah, I mean, look, you're to watch no them. There's no substitute You can time. see, you can see, if you'll start watching, you can see those deer that browse. You yeah, can see what they're preferring. You can Maybe. watch them. I mean, yep. you, you know, we do it all the time, which I, you know, my, yeah.
0: my occupation puts me in the woods, you know, five times a week. I can but, tell you, those years when I had more time to scout, like that, you know, bow hunting, I mean, I saw a lot more. I was, I was more dialed in and more tuned in because you could observant. spend those hours, mm-hmm. spend more hours scouting than hunting. That goes back to that analogy, Brent. If I got two hours to cut
1: down a tree, I spend the first hour sharpening my axe. Is that <laughs> kind of what you're talking about? <laughs> that's right.
0: And, and you can apply that to a lot of things in life. A lot of things. That's
1: right. Yeah. Well, well that's
0: if, good stuff that's good that's good there's a lot we can do uh there's a lot we can do that you may not have thought about without without starting from scratch planting there's a lot of things that that property, whatever that property is you're hunting whether you own it you lease it or it's public isn't it right so if we can
1: just if we don't do anything but cause awareness to be observant there are ways that we can do better and there's so many ways that we can manage and manipulate our landscape and our properties if we're intentional. I mean it's it, it, it's really it's really bizarre. You know, even
2: off lease land. I mean Brent we used to talk about, you know, timber companies, Warehouser, you know, Gulf states, a lot of those lands that, that, that people lease and I mean and I control a family that, that, that had 40,000 acres and it was divided and, and they make a big you know, they, they make big a big lot out there hunting, of their hunting leases, leases. But it's really managed for timber production. But we do leave roads in it, and, and, and we was talking earlier, you know, before we got on here, but managing roadsides, you know, fertilizing uh, thickets, fertilizing honeysuckles. These are all things that you could do that that we wouldn't say a word about it. Having a wider road and you managing the sides of it, that helps us when we come in 15 years down the road to cut that timber, to thin that timber. That road's it's wide, it's got sunlight, plus it's a great free opening yeah. to, to do something with, you know, uh, manage with clovers or, or, or just like you said, the native species that want to be there. But let's don't go in there and smoke them all down with herbicide, with glyphosate or Roundup mm-hmm. and, you know, identify what's there and say, Hey, I remember those guys talking about how good this ragweed is mm-hmm. or how good this Lespedeza is. You know, it, 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 it's there we need to key in on it.
1: And all of it's at our disposal. I mean, if we can start understanding, you know, those, those growth curves, if you will, those utilization curves between our native species, our planted species, then we can start filling in the gaps. We may see that we may have a gap in our, in our native forages that I can fill in with a supplemental food plot in the summer or winter, whatever that gap may be. I may have a gap somewhere where we may even see it could be beneficial to free, feed protein. You know, right. I, I'm not a big fan of that, but I can right. see where yeah. that could be a be a, a possibility to fill that gap at Depending some point. Depending on where that, now, that I limiting tried factor. But I've
2: done factor. it one year, and I told you, man, I said I'll never want to feed these rascals out of a bag because it's expensive. But I tell you this, uh, and I can just notice they really hit that protein. And and Jason Hollis with Hollis Farms, he I man, he could tell you a whole podcast on protein because he's he's done that it. It was a life for him, but. And I'd asked him one time, but they really hit my protein July and August. I mean, smoked it. They, you know, when when we had other things, they were really hitting that during the hottest, driest times of the year. They were hitting that protein.
1: So, an observant landowner, what's that telling
2: you? Well, we're lacking There's something during that, that time of year. Something they're I'm looking missing. for
1: something because I, I would propose, and I've heard Jason tell me the same thing. Well, we're
2: gonna get him on here to let him talk about that too, because it's really amazing about those.
1: They got off not. the protein as fast as they got on it in that window, and it's right. really amazing. They went from not feeding on it at all to one hundred percent, and then maybe when the acorns start falling, they leave it again. And so it's really interesting to to watch how all that fits in, you know, together, and, and let the deer just tell you, hey, this I'm telling you what I need, right? And being observant about watching and and,
2: and and another thing, um, I had one of my one of my closest friends, and he used to cut timber for me, but he's got a small pen. And he's got some nice breeder bucks in that pen. And, and I just asked him for the question, you know, our perspective on it. I said, how much do you feed those deer? He said, you know, a 50-pound bag, he he pours into that trough. And he said, six of them eat it. And, I mean, these deer are 200 inches, 180, 200-inch deer. So, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea of how much those those guys could eat when they need it. And, you know, that. so it's, that's a... That's pretty interesting. But I'm, I'm going back to what you said, Mitt. Managed habitat, we got way more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, just we've got to promote it. We've got to be smart enough to promote it, and it'll grow. And that's all landscape. That's all, that's all soil habitat. you agree? Yeah, do. All soil types. Mm-hmm. If we promote that disturbance, whether it's fire, disking, Herbicides, that other stuff's coming. The good stuff's coming.
1: That's a good segue into to talking about and we and we touched on it a little bit last week when we were kind of debating back and forth between each side of the Tom Bigby River, yep. you know. And I said, you know, a lot of people want to point their finger at genetics, and you guys say, well, I don't know. I think it may be may be nutritional, and so that that debate and where all that started from and what and, and this study was done over at the deer lab and it was done. A lot of um, foresight to those guys I am tip my hat off because this is probably 15 years ago now that they started this I had this vision and where it came from was different parts of the state were saying hey I don't have the genetic makeup in my area that they may have in the delta I'm at a disadvantage so if I if I you know could transplant some of those deer in there and improve my genetics then that could fix the problem and so you know, without choosing sides, the guys over at the, at, at MSU and the Deer Lab, they put together a a research project to let's, let's put this to let's put this to, to bed. And so, I'm gonna give you kind of the summary of this. Really, really interesting and really eye opening to me was they captured some deer in the lower coast lower coastal plains, and that was probably you would think of that as the lower quality somewhere down That's there. right. Okay. The probably the worst some of the lower quality habitat that we have within the state and then they went to the delta region which you would think of the the higher quality habitat and they captured some deer all right and they captured in the springtime um of of the year to where the the does were assumed to be pregnant all right they brought them all to the the deer lab put them in a pen over here all right both um sets of, of deer were fed the exact same diet. So that's an important point to keep that in mind.
2: Protein levels are same. Protein,
1: everything the same, both the same diet, all right? And so once those does had fawns, they had buck fawns and, and doe fawns, obviously, the, the original does that were caught in the wild, they were out of the study, no longer used. So now we're just dealing with all deer springs. that were raised in captivity on the same diet, all right, so you had some from the lower coastal plain that were conceived in the wild. The right. mom and dad grew up in the wild in lower coastal plain, and the same for the so delta. So they was
2: not mixed. Not okay. mixed.
1: Okay. All right, same diet. All right, here's what's interesting. The buck fawns that were grown in the lower coastal plain, they were the same size at three years old as the wild deer from the lower coastal plain. Maybe a pound difference antler size the same no difference with an unbelievable diet okay. the same diet the delta deer really no, no, no difference either alright so that got Bronson because Bronson was thinking of nutrition the whole time he was against the idea of the, the genetic difference and so they were thinking early on that look we're fixing to have to eat some crow on this so the design of the study was to carry this out over multi-generational All right, so here's where it gets really, really interesting. All right, the does of the deer that were were in captivity, they were conceived in the wild, born in captivity. Obviously, they were bred and had, uh, you know, with the same deer in the pen within the study. Their offspring, all right, so once removed from that, their moms grew up on a great diet, but still no characteristics from those individuals the characteristics were the same. All right. The offspring of the doe's on the good diet, that's where the differences really started, really started to show up. So Bronson told me that the bucks on the the lower coastal plain were 36 pounds heavier and probably 20 to 25 inches more horn. All right. The the second generation, the F2s, the second generation from the lower coastal plain, actually were bigger body weights and bigger horns than the wild deer in the Delta. Mm. And so that just affirms that, you know what, we already have the genetic code throughout the state to do this. We need the nutrition. It's a nutritional limitation. We've
2: got to hit that goal and... and Get them where they put that production in their yep. horn. I hope
1: right? I I hope I articulated that study accurately enough where you could gain that picture. But um, it it was really really interesting, and and Bronson's got a white paper on it, and he's done a couple of podcasts on it. Um, but really really interesting information.
0: That just proves that that nutrition it, it makes a difference. It unlocks it yeah. unlocks that code. So you, that you may have potential. that.
1: You may have a deer with the genetic potential to be that 150, but because the, the nutritional values that we are giving him and multi-generational too, say, even his mom, we're, we're, we're limiting him from that, that aspect.
2: Well, if and we're, we're trying to get through some of it so we don't be bogged down. You know, the time frame of when these deer need this nutrition you know that's something that we we throw up in the air, and 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 I have a I have an idea of my personal opinion when they need it is is right after rut. You know they need a high you know quality food to to build them, build them back up what they've lost in rut, and and um you know and, and going back with Bronson, Bronson told me one time he said you know Chris the stronger you bring your deer out of rut, and and the, the stronger he builds his skeletal frame and he builds all of his nutrients back up in his body yeah. he, quicker you can he, the recover quicker he it. can recover yeah. you know that it's kinda like that guy no steroids and, and <laughs> it goes back to the horns and and uh, so i've always strived to have some type of product you know because you know you think about it now coming you're out in of february, in late january february January, february there's not a lot of natural brows yep. out there you know you're gonna have to lean to a to a planted or a supplemental feeding you know it, it and that's what i've seen yeah. so
0: if we want to talk timing when it's critical post rut most people know that you know you, your deer run down you got post rut oh. and that time of year for us some of that would be region specific post rut for us you're also hitting that hard hardest part of our winter uh but also right now as we're recording this we're getting into those dog days of summer where I think you got fawning, you've got antler development, and just the the hot and dry conditions of Mississippi, uh, you got you got stress there. That's right, right now, right now.
2: Mm-hmm. And and uh, that now that goes back to, like Mitt saying that habitat management, having that go. I think you said a thousand acres. That was our mock study or our mock you know sequence. But having that thousand acres or our forty acres or something. That's managed and burned. Those deer can go around and take that good bite because you know this. Whether I do, whether they smell it or they see it, they have a preference for certain species. If you ever watch the deer eat and watch him walk through the woods, he'll walk up, stick that nose to it, go take a bite here. Take they're browsers. I mean that when you, I think you would agree with me on that. They browse. I mean, you know, you can look at the internet and they, they say they'll eat 400 different species of plants. So that's a smorgasbord, but I think they they go after those plants that we're trying to promote with burning and fire and, and, and disturbance, but they they preference those plants.
1: So no, they're very selective in what they put in their mind. That's
2: right. They go after it first. Now, you know a deer can eat pine needles and survive because they do it up north in the snow, but they're going to go after those good plants first.
0: So if we have a place out there with with a lot of good plants... You're going to have better deer yeah i think what you want to do as a as a hunter landowner manager is you want to stack the odds or stack the deck as much as you can in your deer's favor and your favor and and what we're laying out is ways you may not have thought about and in some practices you might be doing for for other species that can benefit your deer from a nutrition standpoint with a little bit of awareness and maybe tweaking your timing a little bit, you know, specific to burns and and, and promoting some of those native species. So it's not just it's not just planting the, the food plot. When, when you're looking at nutrition, getting nutrition to your deer, these are ways you can do it. There's more ways than uh, than you might have thought. I agree. I agree with that.
2: And and you know, managing anything and putting your heart and soul in it. You're going to get rewarded. I mean, you know that. I mean, that's far as far as, uh, you know, you can even tie things in. And, you know, we was talking about land values and and, and, and making your track worth more money. You, you spray and manage and burn these pine plantations. Well-managed tracks are bringing more money per acre than just tracks that are out there.
1: So and that, that's something that you and I talk about all the time, Kristen. and I, I hope that the, the farms that I've got are legacy type farms, and I never have to sell them. But everything that I do, I'm trying to increase the land value. Everything that I do, and, and the rec we all know that the recreational value of this land now, and sometimes, in some cases, are exceeding maybe even timber value. It's, it's doing it now,
2: 100%. Yeah. And so
1: we are crazy if we don't try to, whether we anticipate selling ever or not. I mean, just to be good land stewards. that to, value. That's right. To be good stewards of what we're uh, given to take care of, we need to be thinking about that. And, and there are ways that we can do this through the tools that we talked about today then you can definitely increase those land values. I mean, you buy and sell land all the time, Chris, and you're as good a, a case study as there is on what that proper management does in in regards to land values.
2: I, I mean, that's a that's a hundred percent. I mean, it, I tell people all the time, you know, Man, I mean, re- I Chris, I really hate to spend that money on this. Why you're going to get it back? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it it it, it pays for itself. It really does.
0: Yep. That's been good. It's, it's been good. there's a lot of you know, look, we we when you think about nutrition, you might roll your eyes. Man, there's a lot there's a lot to nutrition. There's and and we went down some streets that I wouldn't have thought about. You know, early on when we were talking about cutovers and, and burns. I don't know how many people out there like me, but I really wasn't thinking of those those aspects. In terms of nutrition, being a hot spot—that's right. Yeah, you know, I think about some of the things I think about as cover. Well, we a lot of nutritional we, value, and that, you thats know, we good look information.
2: At, we look at those areas as ugly because we wipe them out, and you look in the timber business—you know—they've grown for sixty years, and we wipe them out in three weeks. So visually, to us, it's it's terrible looking. It's you bombed it looks like a bomb hit it. But to wildlife, it, it's it's the best thing you could ever happen to you know, promoting nutrition, and, and, and uh, that's that's where we kind of miss it. It ain't all those bottomland hardwoods that are most beautiful things to us.
1: And uh, a deer's thinking, that, look, that's a that's a waste ground for 11 and a half months out of the year. I yep. get
2: these some acorns for a month and a half. That's right. to Mitch shoots me or Brent puts <laughs> air on me in October.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of depth here. here. A lot yeah. of depth, a lot of things to think about. Yeah. Uh, when somebody says something about nutrition – um, my mind goes to a lot of the topics that we talked about here um so it's it's, it's very yeah, and important that, and to these
0: about are the the other the other big thing about these things is things you can do without having a whole lot of expensive tools in some cases mm-hmm. that's right everybody can do this or in, in if in some cases it's not something you do it's just something you recognize identify and promote
2: I think that's, uh, that's good stuff. I think it's really good yeah and, and if you want to know about something in this, and you have some questions, and, you, and it may not be a topic that you want us to to answer on on you know live, but yeah, but email, email it to yeah, us, and we'll get you it. we'll get you some answers Let's talk on talk about it. it. Uh, yeah, that, that's the reason we're doing it to, for help.
0: That's right. You know, we really look. We we love some feedback, and 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 you know, I
2: never. I'm always trying to learn. And and if you've got something else that you've done, and and it's really really productive, and you're really seeing solid results. Let us know. I'd love to. You know, I'd love to, to to bounce off of it.
0: Yep. All right, guys. Good stuff. We
2: appreciate you. Just remember one thing: you heard it from me. You can't out hunt a guy that don't have a job.
0: <laughs> See y'all next time.